0: We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land where we're recording. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Indigenous peoples worldwide who are listening in. Interviews Episode 7. Today we're having a chat to Ethel Villafranca, who's a PhD candidate at Melbourne University, as well as a museologist. Thanks again to Anon for the beautiful introductory music. So Ethel, if you could begin with discussing a little bit about your pathway and how you came to study a PhD. Um,
1: well, my undergrad is um, art history, focused on Phil- Philippine art history in particular. So I did my undergrad in the Philippines. I was born and raised in the Philippines. And after graduation, I worked for a museum. I was doing education programs. So I did that for six years. And then I moved to a children's library. So I kind of really like doing culture and the arts, Um So I gravitate towards that career path. And when I was already at the children's library, I thought, well, I really like my job. I really like what I'm doing. But then I thought, hmm, maybe I like this because it's the only thing I know. So I decided to go sideways a little bit. So I worked for DHL Singapore uh, in Singapore. It was the Asia-Pacific office of Singapore. And I was doing corporate communications, particularly okay. internal communications. Um, I don't have particular training, academic and professional training in corporate communications. However, part and parcel of my job at the uh, Ayala Museum in the Lo- uh, Robinson Children's Library was really communicating with different stakeholders. So I had that skill slightly developed and I moved there for and worked for a year. But before I left for DHL, I already submitted my application for a Fulbright Fellowship to go and study my master's in the U.S., there's no, unfortunately, there's no museum studies degree in the Philippines. Let alone a museum education master's degree mm. or or undergraduate degree for that matter. Yeah. So when I got to Singapore, I was a few months later. I was notified that I received the scholarship wow. to go to you know do my master's. Yeah. But the application process the process for getting into the school taking the TOEFL, um uh, toefl exam and all takes longer um so i stayed until june i think i stayed until june in singapore I went mm-hmm. back to manila just to pack up my stuff so yep. i can move to the us in july yeah and i spent two and a half years doing my masters in museum studies at the university of florida oh wow Yeah, um, and after that, I actually had to go back to the Philippines as part of the contract for Fulbright because it's a U.S. government scholarship. So the contract was to stay for at least two years and, you know, contribute to society. Ah, okay. Um, And then, so I started working for um, another museum, Lopez Museum and Library, and I also started teaching again. When I was at a uh, um, children's library, I was teaching at the um, state university on a part-time basis. So on weekends, when I don't have work, I yeah. would be at the university teaching. Um, I was doing the same when I was at uh, Lopez Museum. I also had other curatorial odds and end projects. So I was very busy. And when I was doing my master's, I would you know gravitate towards wanting to do a PhD because most of my friends at University of Florida who are Filipinos are doing their PhDs so so I could see their struggles and the joys of doing the PhD and the potentials of doing a PhD but then I distinctly remember one day while I was still doing my master's and it was one semester and we had like it was towards the end of the semester, and so deadlines for multiple assessments. And I haven't slept for like two days. <laughs> so I was thinking I was uh, I was so I was so tired. I was I was actually in the shower. I was thinking I am not going to do my PhD. I'm not going to do this to myself again. Because, you know, this is nothing to compare to doing a PhD. Then I went back to the Philippines, and I realized I actually miss doing research. And because it's especially in the Philippines, the field of museums is fairly new. Um, there was nothing much that there was. I couldn't do, you know, I couldn't go into a specialization doing a PhD there. And I wanted to focus on museum education. So you see, the museum field is fairly new and emerging. And then you have a subset of that museum education, which is even newer. So I felt that, you know, I needed to go somewhere else to pursue my my um, further studies. And so that's how I found myself here um, doing my PhD. So I'm one of, I think now there's eight of us or seven of us, um, PhD candidates under the ILETC project, which is Innovative Learning Environment and Teacher Change, which is a project that is run by the University of Melbourne, but it's ARC Linkage Project. So it's a massive project with multiple private um, industry partners and also government partners. So we're partners with the Department of Education in South Australia, New South Wales, ACT, and then also New Zealand. So it's massive. And we also have, because it's about teaching space so innovative learning environment we have partnerships with A4LE the Association for Learning Environments in Australia and we also have partnerships with a museum because you know it's based on the description of what an innovative learning environment is a museum could qualify as one so we have Powerhouse Museum in Sydney as a, a museum partner and we also have other industry partners such as Ecophon, um, Acoustic, Telstra. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a combination of a lot of disciplines. So, it's, so my research actually struggles the fields of museums, education, yeah. and architecture. So it's at the nexus of those three yeah. disciplines. So what I'm st- trying to do in my research is find out what museum educators use as part of the learning environment, whether it's in in a gallery or in a museum classroom or in a school classroom, what elements of the environment they are using and how they're using it for teaching and particularly what deep learning strategies they are employing. Mm -hmm. The idea is to find out, map out these elements and see if those strategies can be transferred and applied to classroom teachers, oh, wow. particularly innovative learning environment.
0: Yeah, which so, is
1: pretty topical at the moment. Yeah, this um, it's it's an interesting um, yeah. topic, innovative learning environments, because um, you have, I think there are you know polar opposites. There are some opinions that are on opposite ends there are those who are like super opposed to you know um innovative learning environment but because I think because also there's still um there still needs a lot of clarification by by what you mean by innovative learning environments so a lot of all I've heard who are opposed to it think of ILEs as the open plan classroom which yeah. is not in exactly the case they're yeah. not all open plan it's not a simple open plan Just because it's an open-plan classroom and you have technology to make it an innovative learning environment. And a lot of the chief investigators of the research project would say, it's not really the space, not just the space, but also the pedagogy, the teaching that goes into it that makes it an innovative learning environment. The research, um, ILETC, is responding to the relevance of an issue because... The Australian government has poured billions of money into creating this ILEs in schools. but yeah. some schools don't know how to work with it are but having difficulty with it. So they put back the walls yeah. and go back to traditional traditional classroom setup. But what we're trying what we're trying to understand is what can we do better? What we're learning anecdotally is that the teachers, and this is understandable, don't know how to use the ILE. If you grew up studying in a traditional classroom, chances are you will adopt to how you were taught. And they don't receive training as teachers in university on how to use ILEs. So it's rather unfair for you to just drop the teachers there and expect them to be able to make the most out of it. So we're trying to address that issue, you know, helping teachers being able to maximise potentials mm. of
0: ILEs. Wow. And do you find that doing a PhD and doing all this research gives you an avenue to go down and has probably shaped what you're looking at, but at the same time, coming from your background, mm-hmm. you must have wanted to, you may not have known this exact. This is exactly where you'd end up, but you would have already had um, an interest in reading and studying do you find that doing a phd has sort of streamlined your desire to gain more knowledge
1: i think the search to find knowledge is something that i naturally gravitate towards because um i if i wasn't Involved in museums, I would have been a teacher. Oh, really? Like a, a school teacher. I come from a family of teachers. Sure. Um, and so education, teaching and learning has always been, have always been two of the things I'm very interested in. So yeah. doing a PhD may not have been natural. It's, to be quite honest, I'm intimidated by the academia. Oh, really? I am. I am. It's it's very different oh. Um, doing okay. um, being in the academy is very different than working in the industry because right. you have to do research. Yeah. you have to um, you have to have empirical, you know, evidence for right. your, for for the things that you are doing. Yeah. so it's a whole different discipline, yeah. and um, there is a misconception that when you come out of the PhD, you are an expert. You actually become an expert on a teeny tiny speck of your focus, of your field. In my case, I won't be an expert in museum education after my PhD. But I will have gained a better, wider, deeper understanding of... um, strategies using space and objects yeah, for teaching. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But in terms of, and I was just thinking about this earlier today, does it make me a better museum educator in terms of designing programs? Maybe not, maybe right. yes. Yeah. But, you know, um, you weave in all these learnings because I talk yeah. to educators, I do observations in my research. Right. So you weave in... Part of what you need to learn with, with the skill you need to gain with um, PhD is, you know, being able to make sense of a lot of disparate knowledge. Yeah. Okay. So I, I guess not directly as a training as for a PhD. Yeah. But the knowledge gained from the exposure into the museum field, the people involved in the museum field, will. Essentially, contribute to um, you know um, a better museum person right. should I decide to go back to yep. music to you know to the industry to the museum field after my PhD because at right. this point I really don't know I don't know <laughs> if I want to stay in the academy yeah. and do further research yeah. or go back to being a
0: museum person Yeah, I still don't have the answer <laughs> <laughs> um, well okay so I guess Two questions following on from that. Um, I think it's really interesting to hear that you would find it uh, intimidating mm-hmm. um, because I think everyone finds their own, um, what they're doing, to be intimidating. Mm. But, and you, you sort of look at other people and think, oh, they're they not intimidated at all. But, you know, everyone, I think. In, in certain times gets intimidated um what do you think have been some of the challenges of the path that you've taken um in the phd particularly um
1: it's there's this thing that they call oh, okay to start with there are so many studies on the emotional and mental impact right of Doing a PhD to yeah, the students, okay. right. and it's 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 very disturbing to yeah, to okay. be quite honest. Right. And there's this thing that they call an imposter syndrome okay. that's very prevalent among PhD students. Oh, right. Um, so one of the biggest challenges for me about doing a PhD is that in Australia and other, I guess you know, in Europe as well. You don't do coursework, okay? So you are alone, yeah. You don't meet other people doing something similar, or right. you're the only one doing essentially, yeah. The, the reason why you're doing a PhD because you're the only one doing that at the moment, right? So you don't essentially have close peers, sure. So you have to make an extra effort, yeah, to make friends, yeah. To make um, colleagues, yeah. As you're doing your PhD, so it's very isolating. Yeah you, right. you you get your desk. Yeah. You, you're supposed to be self. Um. You know. You have to have the initiative and the drive yeah. to do your work because your supervisor is not going to hold your hand through the process. Yeah. So that's very challenging yeah. for me. Yeah. the i the, the isolation. Yeah. The other one is also the you know the the pressure because yeah, you okay. work at your own pace you don't essential for me I can't because there are no assessments you enroll in a subject and then at the you know at certain periods you have assessment right and so you can gauge your progress with sure here you are doing an assessment you have a progress review on the first six months and then annually after what so you you don't know if you are it's really up to you to gauge whether you're doing well or not and my personality works on measuring okay where am I going how do I know what are my indicators it's so hard yeah it's so very hard because your profession is not going to Mark your papers. Right. You write a you get asked to write a paper. You don't really get it back, and you know it. You get a you get an eighty five percent mark. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. So yeah. being able to self regulate. Yeah. Is, is 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 really hard. Yeah.
0: It would be and yeah. and ongoing as well. Yeah. You have to
1: you know if you're a slacker, um, it's so. It's so – there's a lot of freedom. Right. So much freedom yeah. that it's actually scary yeah. because you can – you uh, if you spiral into, oh, wow, I, I don't have to go to school today, I don't have to do this because no yeah. one's watching
0: me, no one's – I know I don't have to yeah. report. And then two months later, you're oh. like, oh, my God. And then the I'm pressure happy. of getting that done <laughs> yes. in four months' work, getting yeah. that done in two months would yeah. just be like, <gasps>
1: So that's why it's it's you know one of the things that you the skills that you really really gain from doing a PhD is project management skills. Oh, okay. Um, it's wow. something that they don't advertise that mm. you become a PhD, but you really have yeah. you really gain. You should be able to gain strong project management skills right. and collaboration skills because mm. you're while you're doing you're writing on your own and you're in your little cubicle. Once you do your data collection, especially if you're, even if you're doing like surveys, you talk to hundreds of people, maybe you coordinate the schedule. Like for example, in my case, I'm data collecting. I did uh, Canberra. Right. I had three sites there. Oh, wow. So imagine the coordination that went into which days I'm going, who am I meeting? What am I going to do? So, so the, so your communication skill as yeah. well gets, you yep. know, um, have to level up because yeah. you're communicating with different set of people. So right. you're committing communicating with the heads of the museum. Wow. You're communi- communicating with teachers because, you know, yeah. my, my study also involves teachers. Yeah. And also the general public because yeah. part of doing a PhD is so that you can help Bring knowledge to the general public. If you do very academic talk, no one's going to understand you. No one's going to listen yeah, okay. to you. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's all those skills right. that they you know you don't really you don't really think yeah. you'll need when doing a PhD. Yeah. And it's not just you know the intellectual capacity of analyzing that and all yeah. that, but all those um, basic communication. Yeah the the four c's the 21st 21st century skills activity collaboration whether the other communication
0: and there's another one that's interesting and so with these challenges what um now yeah. that you're well you've basically got one year left which is pretty <laughs> amazing you'll probably get to the end of it and just be like huh, what um what are the coping mechanisms that you've developed or how have you have how have you like hope? <laughs> a lot of help. Yeah, okay. Because coming from the Philippines there
1: is a this this stigma towards people with mental and emotional issues.
0: Oh really? Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So you don't really seeing a counselor in the Philippines is kind of you know Raises eyebrows. Oh, you must be crazy. You need a counselor. Oh, okay. That's so um, even when I was doing my masters in the US, yeah, during my last semester, and I was just writing my thesis, right, I would have days when I would be just in front of my computer and I can't write, and yeah. I would start crying. Oh, right. Okay. So you know, it's that stress and anxiety yeah. and depression all rolled into one. And I know that we have a counseling service at the university okay i never got the courage to see one because i was you know i was trying to i don't know battling that whole mindset of no 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 you're only crazy people go to go to counselors yeah so here um that's one of the change the difference is I go to counseling. Right. Um, I call hotlines if I'm yeah. having difficulty. Right. Um, I I ask for help. Right. E, you know, it, it may be in the form of, you know, reaching out to friends. Right. Um, reaching out to families, mm. seeing a professional. Yeah. But not keeping everything in right. and just yeah. thinking that, oh, you need to surpass this. Yes. It's, you know, it's... Mm you have to be strong enough to do this you can't you really can't it's too much it's too much for one person and those who don't encounter any emotional and mental difficulty are so lucky yeah i don't know how they do it but you know (laughs) yeah hd is probably not a good idea for those who are you know are have emotional problems to yeah. start with so, yeah. because it magnifies right. the the insecurity right. the feeling the the um imposter syndrome mm-hmm. okay. that, that those who have that think that they're not good that it's a fluke that they got right. where they are it's not because of how good they are yeah okay but because you know something just happened so right. you never believe that you are worth your PhD or you're mm. good enough for your PhD. Wow. So that's a problem. And even, you know, and, and one of a really well-known academic based in either Cambridge or Oxford, and she's already, you know, a tenured professor, and she still talks about mm. imposter syndrome as yeah. something that still affects her. Right. So it's a prevalent issue yeah. in the academy, unfortunately. Right. That's so interesting. one of the things I learned really from, you know, going into counseling and seeking help is, you know, you need to be kinder to yourself. Right. It's really that. Rem- yeah. It's, it's a conscious reminder to be kinder to yourself. And I think yeah, it's it not only to... PhDs and stop comparing yourself to other PhDs. They're doing different things. They they have different skills. They have different backgrounds. They have different circumstances. You can never compare. Because if you do, you'll either come up short or better than them. Yeah. So don't torture yourself by comparing.
0: That's true. That's actually really great advice because you don't really want to be in either situation. Yeah. Do you? You just want to probably want to celebrate that everyone is learning and excelling and yeah yeah and that's you know that's reach really out interesting. and
1: lend a hand to those yeah to those who need it and we we always do we always need something like even a hi yeah yeah and sometimes it's and I I would really like to learn how to do my PhD like it's a job right you clock in at yeah. eight or nine and then you forget about it yeah five o'clock or six o'clock yeah I'm still not able to do that <laughs> you get home and I'm still thinking oh, wait I need to talk to blah 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 and then I'll pick up my yeah. computer and say it's it's some people are able to do that yeah. I know some people who have families some full-time jobs yeah. who finish on time and get there I know somebody who even got his thesis Return from the examiners with no revisions. And oh, I'm like, are you for real? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and again, so it's it is a possibility, but then you know, yeah,
0: too much ex- too much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ethel, do you have any comments on how living in different countries has changed or impacted? your sense of self or your identity? I would
1: say that it has changed my identity, but it has broadened my perspective. It has made me more um, open-minded. Right. Because, you know, you realize that the world, is, the world is so big out there. People have... Just because someone is different from you doesn't mean um, he, he is better or or less than you.
0: Right, yeah.
1: But because he may have a different background, they may have different preferences, even life choices. Sure. So it has, you know, traveling and living... Overseas and in different countries, having friends from different with different nationalities has definitely broadened um, my 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 perspective about the world. I don't think it has changed my identity per se. Yeah,
0: Um,
1: I still think that my so I started traveling when I was in my early twenties. So I've been traveling half of half of my life now. I'll yeah. be I'll be 40 in a couple of months. Yeah. So I started traveling when I was in my 20s. And uh, when I first traveled, I realized, wow, the world is really so big and it's so different. There's yeah. so many things to explore. There's so many things to learn. Right. So I started traveling, making a point to travel, extensively. Yeah. Okay. Despite, you know, I come from a non-profit field. Yeah. So people are amazed at how are you able to afford to travel? Right. But it's just a matter of setting priorities. Yeah, I don't okay. because I move around too much. Yeah. I also don't invest in material stuff. Right. I invest in experiences wow. and relationships. Yeah. So so I don't buy fancy stuff. Yeah. I when I ha- when I see something um say you know, a a really expensive bag. And I'll think, oh, that could buy me a ticket to somewhere (laughs) That's (laughs) how I think. I think in terms of ticket prices. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah. So so it has really shaped
0: the way I see and engage with people. Wow, yeah, that's really interesting. And so do you think that maybe that, that travel and that um, love of experiences has impacted your interest in museums and the the temporary experiences. Yeah, it
1: has actually definitely added to... Because museums essentially are guardians of the material culture of society, we hold... physical, material evidences of our successes and right. even failures, like you know, yeah. extinct you know, yeah. mammals and things like that. So it's a good reminder of what is out there in the world and what we have lost. So whenever yeah. I go and travel, it's actually, you know, having seen, for example, basketry from um, our remote area, it makes me want to see, oh, I want to know why their designs are like that so it it makes me want to go to that place yeah and understand better their culture yeah so I think it feeds my travel and my passion for museum work feeds into each other yeah because it makes me appreciate better wow what whatever I'm working on in the museum
0: yeah oh that's really interesting and so if you were if you could give some advice to um either yourself when mm. when you are in your early 20s yeah. or uh, somebody else who's in their early 20s and they're sort of, you know, about to um, begin their career, they may be finishing school or yeah. just starting university, what would you say to them or what would you say to yourself? Be brave and courageous in exploring. When you're
1: in your 20s, it's the time to explore. Right. And gain a lot of experience because... Um, And feed your passion because when you're young, you have you you have a lot more freedom, yeah, to be able to travel to see which path, explore which path you want to take, and you'll never really know if that path is right for you unless you take it on. And then, like like what I did when I moved, so I was working for eight years before I tried doing corporate a uh, corporate job and i realized that oh i really want to do museum work oh, really? Really? Yeah. that was that's what was what i learned yeah. but i was not afraid because i was i was still you know i was i think i was 29 yeah when i decided that i oh, i, I want to try something else <laughs> so this yeah so I, just, I, I i did it and um and then but but Never burn bridges. Yeah, okay. Yeah, never ever burn bridges. Yeah, that's good. But you'll price. never know when if you have to cross a bridge again. Yeah. That bridge
0: again. Yeah. Do you see your PhD as your career? Or do you see your studies and your work as different avenue like you've had different experiences? Like I mean for myself, I when I was doing my masters I wouldn't have seen that as my career. But now that I'm working, I look at that and I do see it as mm. one thing that led to another.
1: I think the, because of how I do things, I think of myself as a strategic thinker. Yeah. So I'm that type of person who plans her life. That's why doing quanti- qualitative research is not really good for me because you can (laughs) never plan everything when I was in undergrad doing my um, bachelor's degree in Philippine arts I already chose where I was going to work when I completed when I complete my degree and so I plan everything so that I get into that when I graduate I did my internship there I did um, research there and um so by the time I graduated, give them a call and hey, I finished school, they have an yep. opening. And it was wow. like, you know, oh You're yeah. Right they already knew me. So I I'm that type of person who makes strategic decisions. So my PhD is I don't see it as a separate part of my career, but as a you know, as part of my career that yeah. could lead me yeah. to the next Stage of my career, whether it's yeah. as 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 you know, I talk to a lot of museums, so it mm. opens up yeah. opportunities yeah. for future collaborations yeah. in and out of the museum field. Because my the you know the the partners for the research are not just museum people. Yeah. So I could find myself maybe in you know in a school, um, providing advice on innovative learning environment yeah. use of it so yeah. you know so it actually opens up a plethora of opportunities you know we're we're here to make connection so whatever you do is an opportunity to connect with people yeah. in the world so whether you're yeah. studying whether you're working whether you're volunteering whether you're just traveling it's yeah. actually an opportunity to make connections yeah. and connections are valuable and it's you know it's it's not like you're you're making uh, you know you're making friends with somebody or connecting with somebody because you know you someday you, you'll call on them for help or something but there's always something valuable f- yes. to learn from someone else just a matter of thinking of it as an opportunity for personal growth yeah or opportunity to contribute to that person or to you know to the bigger society and you'll never know. You get recommended yeah. for a job just because someone yeah. knew you. You didn't even hear. And that's what has been happening. Now, I was told from, you know, um, those who hire people, they don't actually do the traditional way of you apply. It's, you know, they start with people's connections, connected with and things like that.
0: Yeah. Um, well, just to finish up, if you could take your research, mm mm-hmm anywhere if you could design your own job or your own position or anything well, what would you do
1: oh i'd be a museum director <laughs> of <the Friends> museum. <laughs> I've, been, I've been thinking about that i would yep. be uh, i would be leading a children's museum
0: oh wow
1: a really because the children's museum has a lot more flexibility in terms of um, the you know blurring disciplinary boundaries plus you know children they are our future anyway so yeah get them started young about appreciating their heritage, their culture, their yeah. knowledge, science art, you know history yeah. and then you'll you'll be setting them up. As better citizens of the world so yeah so that would be that would be my dream job i don't know where that would be i i had you know if i had like and i even thought of how much money i would need to do that um i thought that (laughs) if i was given 10 million u.s dollars i'd create a um a children's center not just a museum a children's center in the philippines wow okay yeah yeah. So it will involve um, having a discovery center or a museum yeah. for children, plus other um, empowerment programs for children, like learning programs, and things like that. Yeah. So that would have, yeah. So if you hear of someone giving away ten
0: million U.S. dollars, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Send it to Ethel. <laughs> Thanks, Ethel, for your time and a great conversation.